I, uh, I have a nice little axe here. And uh, how many of you know what axes are used for, right? Chopping wood, baby. <laughs> I've done a fair share of chopping wood. This, is, um, this axe is, uh, it would be called a felling axe. Uh, if you were somebody up in Wisconsin that might actually use these on a more regular basis. This would be, it's got a narrow head, and so it's used for chopping against the grain. Uh, there are several different types of axes. Uh, there are felling axes. There are splitting axes. I have a splitting axe head here. And a splitting axe, sometimes you use the terminology, I have a splitting headache. It's like a big wedge sticking in your brain or something, and you're like, oh, my head. This splitting axe uh, was used so much and not maintained well, can't say it was my fault, but not maintained well, that it literally separated itself from its handle. And you'll recognize a Bible story a little later where an axe head is separated uh, from its handle. Uh, this axe is actually not my axe. Uh, I have a newer axe that has uh, a non-wood handle. But the, it's interesting, they make axe handles out of hard wood. And they make the grain go the length. If you had the grain going this way, you'd take one swing and it would break off. I mean, it'd just snap and there'd be no strength. But they use hard wood so it will be able to take the entire force that, you know, from your arm shoulder all the way down through the axe handle to the power of the axe, which is the iron axe head that has been sharpened, and so you can chop against the grain. And um, I actually picked this axe up recently. I purchased it recently. I bought a used axe. In fact, I got it yesterday. We were driving around. I, I had an idea of using an illustration, and so I said, hey, we got to go find an axe head or an axe. And uh, so we literally went to all kinds of old antique shops, couldn't find anything, couldn't find anything, ended up over in Washington, couldn't find anything, ended up out in Battleground where there's some antique shops. Literally the last place we were at, one of the last little cubby holes inside of this big kind of antique mall, uh, I saw this axe leaning up against the side. And I thought, no way. I picked it up. And literally when I picked it up, I felt the head move on the end. And I thought, this is perfect because I wanted it to be loose. And as you can see, it's not loose right now. <laughs> I left it in the bed of my truck last night. And it rained last night. And it literally was sitting in a puddle of water. Well, in the puddle of water, the wood soaked up the water and made a tight fit again. And I thought, oh, okay, well, that, that actually makes the point that I'm ultimately going to be making. And so I want you to be thinking about axes. I want you to be thinking about handles, axe head, the cutting edge, the power, the wood is the mechanism for which the power gets delivered, if you will. And uh, different types, we all come in different types and shapes, if you will, to do different jobs. So we'll, we'll set the axe and the axe head aside for a moment. And uh, today, uh, we're going to continue our study. Our series is M&M's. How many of us like M&M's? They melt in your mouth, not in your hands. Uh, I'm not a huge M&M fan, but my wife did make some cookies this week, and uh, they were sugar cookies with M&M's in them. And I found myself uh, enjoying M&M's a little bit more because they were surrounded with some more sugar. That was good. <laughs> Probably not so good for me. But nevertheless, M&M's. And the M&M stands for the mission of the church and the missions through the church. So that's through you and I. And last week, we picked up part one, which part one was focusing on a aspect or an aspect of the mission of the church and that aspect that we looked at was the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry so the mission of the church is a preparation to prepare the saints for the works that god has in store for us and you know jesus used that terminology he said my father is working i too am working and he said, we must do the works of him who sent us. 
We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus that he might accomplish works through us that he has prepared in advance. And so God has given some, Jesus, the Lord Jesus has given some to be pastors, apostles, prophets, teachers, and evangelists for the works of the ministry. It is for the equipping of the saints for the works of the ministry. And so a aspect of the mission of the church is to equip God's people to go do the things the Lord has prepared in advance for us to do. Can I get an amen? You know that Jesus said at 12 years old, right? At 12 years old, Luke 2.52, he said, did you not know? 2.52 is uh, Jesus grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with both God and man. But he said to his parents at 12 years old, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? The business of the father are works that are out there. And truly for you and I, it is the infiltrating, saturating, and uh, absolutely, I'll just say saturating, saturating this world with the gospel of Jesus. Amen? It's the good news. It's the gospel. Okay. So, Today, and last week it was a reboot message. Today, it's probably more of a refill message. And we're looking at a second aspect. And the second aspect of the mission of the church is what I'm just going to call spirit-empowered evangelism. Spirit-empowered evangelism. And so we'll look at that. We'll define that in a few moments. But before we get there, I want to recap Paul's missionary journey, this first missionary journey. It's Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14. We're going to look at Acts chapter 13. We're going to blaze through a couple of scriptures. Again, what I want you to be thinking about, what I want you to be focusing on is the cooperation of God the Spirit with the believers that were conveying the message of the gospel, okay? So we have up on the screen here our map. This is Paul's first missionary journey. They're coming out of the church in Antioch. The church in Antioch, man, these guys, they're fired up, they're filled up, and they're just getting ready to be sent out. And then the Spirit of God speaks, and uh, we have for us in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, it says, as they ministered to the Lord. When we come together, we are ministering to the Lord. I I pray, this is a little side note, it's another sermon another day. I pray that our fellowship is not a consumer mentality fellowship where we, what am I going to get out of this? What am I getting out of this? What am I getting out? No, we come prepared to minister to the Lord, to give it all to the Lord. And as we do that, God does things in our hearts and in our lives, and so we are recipients as well. It's better to give, if you will, than to receive, Jesus even said. And so it says, they were ministering to the Lord and they fasted. The Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. First, just a little thought I want you to keep in your heart today. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He's a person, and he's personable. He's speaking. He's speaking, and he's speaking to the church. That's you and me. I love that. God the Spirit is speaking to his children, if you will. He's speaking to us. I My prayer is that we would be the kind of children of God that hear the Spirit's voice. Hear the Spirit's voice. He says, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. God the Spirit has purpose for our lives. Can I get an amen? Do you know that God has an individual purpose for your life? No matter what stage you are in life, there is a, there's a hundred sermons in this verse alone. We don't have time to go there today. So, set, us, set apart to me Barnabas and Saul to the work to which I have called them. Acts 13, verse 4. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit. Hey, I love that the Holy Spirit is directing traffic. To some measure in our lives, are we allowing the Spirit of God to direct our lives? There's another whole series of sermons in that, isn't there? We want the Spirit of God to be ordering our footsteps. 
Let's be listening to the Lord when he says, go to the right, we go to the right. When he says, go to the left, we go to the left. When he says, step forward, we step forward. When he says, step back, we step back. We want to stay in step with the Spirit of God. Can I get an amen? Again, there's a lot of sermons in there. We don't have time this morning. Acts 13, 5. And when they arrived in Salamis, so come back to the map real quick, if you will. And on the map, you see they're, they're moving from Antioch. They're coming down to Cyprus, and they go into Salamis. When they go into Salamis, they preach the word of God there. Now, it wasn't just in the synagogue. While they were there and as they moved through the whole island, they're conveying the gospel. It was their practice and it was their pattern to go to the synagogues to communicate the gospel to the Jews first and then the Gentiles. That is the pattern. The Jews, then the Gentiles. Jews, then the Gentiles. But the point is, as they went, as ambassadors of Christ, which each of us individually are, so they are examples for us how we can be living. Where we go, what we do, the commerce we engage in, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through you and through me. And the appeal is the ministry of reconciliation. And the declaration is be reconciled unto God. That is our message. And it's the gospel and it's good news. So they're doing this where they go. Now, as they went through the entire island of Cyprus, they came to Paphos. They encountered a sorcerer there. You might recall the story. He was, Paul was speaking to the proconsul. So he's not in synagogue. He's now speaking to the proconsul, a, a Roman leader. And there was a sorcerer there named Iliamus, and he was opposing Paul's message because he could see that the proconsul was beginning to believe. He was astonished at the teaching. So Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Paul, verse 9 says, Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him, and boy, he scolds him, and says, because of this, you're going to be blind for a season. And a dark mist came down, covered his head, blinded his eyes, and the scripture says he groped around looking for someone to lead him by the hand. And it's amazing because what happens next, verse 12, it says, then the proconsul believed. The proconsul believed when he saw what had been done and being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Let me just, this is a little side note. Pentecost, the baptism of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples that were there in Acts chapter 2. Later in Acts 4, when there was a refilling, and some were probably filled for the very first time in Acts chapter 4. Other occasions when the Spirit of God filled people. The purpose of the infilling of the power of God in our lives, the enduing power of the Holy Spirit, I believe wholeheartedly, and I believe that Scripture bears this out, is for the very express purpose of people coming to Jesus and being born again. It's about the gospel. And I know as followers of Jesus, we would love to see the operations of God and the miracle-working power of God on a greater measure in our lives. Can I get an amen? We want that. Oftentimes, it's sought for in this setting where we're in the confines of the four walls of the physical building that we call the church, but in essence, we are the building, the church. We are. Each one of us are living stones. God is bringing them together, and as we come together as living stones, God, we become a building, if you will, whereby God dwells with his spirit. But this is not the setting principally that we see the operations and the miracles of God. We see them principally in the marketplace in the book of Acts. That's my excitement and my desire is that each of us, freshly filled with the Spirit of God, freshly endued with power from on high, that as we are both sharing and showing our faith, that we will have opportunity for God to do the miraculous through us. And that will be dynamic and as a result i believe it will draw people to the lord and we'll have the opportunity to introduce people to jesus so we see this happening now the pro council believes and uh it says the teaching of the lord the gospel was accompanied with these signs so coming back to the map for a moment uh, we see from the island of Cyprus, they're going to move into the area of Pamphylia where they're going to go to Perga in Acts chapter 13, and they're making their way to Antioch of Pisidia. Now, it's in Antioch, 
where Paul goes to the synagogue. And it's a, it's a powerful discourse. You can read about it in Acts chapter 13, verses 16 through 41. I encourage you on your own time again today, read this, this, this incredible gospel presentation. And Paul is so um, concise in his words that the Spirit of God is given him to speak under that anointing of the Spirit, the empowerment of the Spirit. He's so concise, he makes statements to the Jews. And one of those statements, he, he, it, it's so powerful, he says, uh, and by him, Jesus, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. To the Jewish mind, forgiveness in Jesus, a forgiveness that cannot be accomplished with the sacrificial system of the Levitical law in Moses. What? And they were believing. And then he goes on to be even bolder, and he says something out of the prophet Habakkuk, and he says the word, these words, beware, beware, therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets comes upon you. Now he's speaking to the Jews in the synagogue. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish, for I work in your days a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. Well, Synagogue ends that day. The Gentiles ask him, hey, tell us more. Say some more of this stuff. And you know, they kind of felt like it was controversial, right? They were upsetting the apple cart of all the Jews. The Jews were pretty distraught about it. Some believed, but many prominent, devout, were like really upset about this. The Gentiles were loving it. They're like, yeah, come on, tell us more. So they urged him to stay. And that whole week, they're in that marketplace area, and they're continuing in the mission, and so the next week in the meeting, it's divisive, and they're literally going to be cast out. And so they said, look, because you do not count yourselves worthy of the gospel, we're going to go to the Gentiles. For the scripture says, I have set you as a light to the Gentiles. And it says, when the Gentiles heard that, they were glad, they glorified the word of God, and as many as were appointed to eternal life, they believed. What I love about that is, again, they're conveying the gospel in a very outward motion, outward movement, and many were believing on the word of God. Many were believing. And it says, and the word of the Lord was being spread throughout most of the region. That's not what it says, is it? It says all the region. God is concise in his words. It means everywhere they went, they were conveying the message. That's a challenge to you, and that's a challenge to me. Everywhere I go, am I conveying the message? Okay. And so, the last verse of Acts chapter 13 is verse 52, and it says, And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Now, that's going to be significant leading into Acts chapter 14, which is our text, verses 1 through 7 again, where they go from uh, Antioch and Pisidia. They're going to scoot because of their lives being in danger, literally, and they're going to make their way over to Iconium. And it's in Iconium we pick up in our text today, and we'll read together our text. What I would love for us to do in this context, again, is connecting the dots of the Spirit of God working in men and women that were conveying the gospel, this entourage of Christ's ambassadors. So Acts chapter 14, pick up in verse 1. Let me get there in my Bible. Acts 14. It says this. Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude both of the Jews and of the Greeks believed. Now, last week... As we read this same text, I highlighted, it said, and they so spoke. They so spoke. Again, I want to emphasize that the so spoke is reflecting back to what had just transpired in Antioch of Pisidia. 
it was an anointing of the Spirit of God, they were empowered by the Spirit of God, and they were conveying the gospel everywhere they went. Now they're in the synagogue, and they are so speaking under that power and the anointing of the Spirit of God. And, and as a result, many believe. Praise the Lord. In the synagogue, many are believing, both Jews and Greeks. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. How many of you know there is divisive works even in the house of God? There are those who would seek to stir up division. And we need to be on our guard in that, rega in, in that regards. We need to be heads up and awares that there are those who would like to bring divisions and separate. And I believe that the Lord is against that. Can I get an amen? amen. So, verse 3, Therefore, they stayed there a long time. Look, when there's trouble, God doesn't call us to run. They stayed there a long time. Now, we can't build a theology on this, and we can't build even a doctrine on this. But there are principles. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. In other words, we hang in there. We hang in there. In the midst of what's going on in America, hey, gang, hang in there, right? We're not bolting. We hang in there. Hang in there, okay? And so they stayed there a long time. Listen, speaking boldly in the Lord. I love that. Underline that in your Bible. Speaking boldly in the Lord. Boldness, we saw in Acts chapter 4, verse 31, boldness came when they prayed for boldness. And it says they went out, the, the place shook, they were filled with the Spirit, and they went out and they spoke the Word of God with boldness. They spoke boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the Word of His grace. He was bearing witness to the gospel as it was being boldly proclaimed and how he was doing it is he was granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands hey that was out there synagogues yes but out in the community signs and wonders empowerment endowment of the spirit of god that came and on the day of pentecost the outpouring of the spirit of god endued them with power and now that power is being made manifest in the marketplace, the normalcy of their day. Are you with me? How many of us want more of that in our normal day? Not to make a name for ourselves, but to make a name for Jesus. That people would turn their eyes to Jesus. Okay. Um, and I'm sure there are sermons all throughout where we are right now. Verse 4, but the multitude of the city was divided. Sound like what we might be experiencing in America right now, the multitude of the nation is divided. Part sided with the Jews, part sided with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, so a violent attempt is being plotted, a violent attempt is being made, and their very lives are in danger. That's when they're saying, okay, we gotta flee. And so they scooted eastward or excuse me actually kind of uh, southeast down to uh, Lystra and Derby in the area of Lyconia and the surrounding region listen and they were preaching the gospel there they're communicating the gospel even in the midst of all kinds of trouble they're communicating the gospel so let's let's pick up with this idea they so spoke with the anointing and the empowerment of the spirit of god they spoke the, the gospel, and they were speaking boldly in the Lord, and uh, where they went, they conveyed the gospel. Okay. So, in our sermon series today, M&Ms, the mission and the missions of the church or through the church, this week we're going to consider the second aspect, and that second aspect is spirit-empowered evangelism. We've seen it now in the first missionary journey up to this point. I mean, Pastor Matt, this morning, as he prayed for someone's ankle, he, first service, he just felt inspired. Somebody has something going on. Hey, 
when we get further in Acts chapter 14, we're going to see that Paul sees someone with faith whose ankle has been crippled, and he says, stand up, and the guy leaps up, starts jumping around. God heals him instantly. I'm like, hey, that's Acts chapter 14 kind of stuff. Spirit-powered evangelism, if you will. And so we've seen it in Paul's journey up to this point. We've seen it certainly in the book of Acts up to this point. And we've seen it perhaps even in the church today in some measure. So here's a question. How do we define spirit-empowered evangelism? And is it happening in my daily life? Is it happening in your daily life? In our daily lives, if you will. So I think the first part of the question, what is spirit-empowered empowered? evangelism is a little easier to define it's the simplicity of being led by the spirit of god equipped by the spirit of god and sharing the gospel of jesus in my daily living empowered and led equipped to share and communicate the gospel now let me pause here for a moment be sure to be with us next sunday part three is going to be in the M&Ms, and we're going to be looking at a third aspect, and the third aspect is going to be ministering the Word of God out of my deficit. When I feel like I don't have something to share. Anybody ever feel like you don't have something to share? You don't know what to say? That's great. You're in good company. And God has, God has something to say to us, even in that. And so please, please, please come next week. We'll hear that third aspect, if you will. Uh, but the second part, well, let me say this. Our purpose statement as a church, and a purpose statement in any organization, is a definition of why they exist. So we exist as a church, literally, uh, to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus, both showing and sharing our faith in our daily lives. Showing and sharing our faith. So in a gr- we want to lead people in a growing relationship with Jesus, both showing and sharing our faith. The showing and sharing our faith, are we actively doing that as a fellowship in our daily lives? So that's the part that may be a little bit more difficult to either chew on, digest, reckon with, and realize, oh Lord, how am I doing? Are you abundantly satisfied with me? as your disciple, right? So am I showing and sharing my faith? So hold those thoughts, and I want to take you to another story in 2 Kings. Now, you say, boy, Pastor Dave, we're coming out of 2 Kings a lot. Well, in my own personal life, in my own personal walk, the Spirit of God has me in 2 Kings. It happens to be a portion of Scripture we also are in our men's Bible study on Wednesday mornings. And uh, he just keeps showing me things in my own life let alone in my life, but in the lives of many in the church. And so we're going to be looking at probably a familiar story to some measure to most of us or some of us, but it's 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. If you have titles above the contexts or sections of a chapter, this one starts off with the floating axe head. Those aren't inspired titles, but it gives you an idea of what's going on. The floating axe head starts like this. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place where we may dwell. So he answered, Go. Then one said, please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But one was cutting down a tree, and the iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, alas, master, for it was borrowed so the son of so excuse me so the man of god said where did it fall and he showed him the place so he cut off a stick and threw it in there and he made the iron float 
Therefore he said, pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and he took it. What I would like to do today is again consider this story. The Holy Spirit saw fit and saw that this story would be included in the text of Scripture, in the prophets, in this, histor- in this area of the historical portions, excuse me, uh, of the kings. And it's here in the story that I believe there is a picture for you and I to glean some insights. Paul writes, at least on two occasions, he said, the things that happened in the Old Testament, they actually happened, and they were written down for our admonition. They are examples for us. The word example in the New Testament is the Greek word tupos. That's where we get the word type. And what it is, is it's a picture of some future event or some occurrence that can be applied in our lives. Again, it's that admonishing, if you will. And so what I would like to do today is maybe just take a peek at some of the pieces of the story, okay? And look at, boy, I'm getting, I'm going to need a mask up here for the second row. I'm getting excited. (laughs) I'm starting to uh, spray it, not say it. (laughs) Anyway, we're going to look at some of the typology in Scripture and what that might look like in our lives. Now, the first thing I see in this narrative is he's talk, they're talking about dwellings. He says, the dwelling is too small. Now, some of your translations will say too straight, S-T-R-A-I-T. That is a fairer description. Small, yes, but small is more inadequate, lacking, leaving us in want without the proper measure, and it, it's perplexing. Things are in disorder as a result of that, or it is um, distressed, right, uh, and lacking resource, okay? That's what small means, and that's what straight means. You are more familiar with the word straight, probably if you hear the phrase, in dire straits it's in bad shape dwelling in typology which is just a interpretive tool if you will refers to our lives right paul uses the example about tents these bodies are our tents they're temporary dwellings We're looking for a permanent building that God has built for us. We're looking for our resurrection bodies. Can I get an amen? Yeah. Um, I think in my tent, I've taken some Old Testament scriptures too literal, and I have broadened my tent, and I have lengthened my ropes and widened the stakes, and I'm just getting bigger. My temporary dwelling has gotten bigger. Anyway. So dwelling, and so the prophet, if you look at this, you can say, wait a minute, these guys, could this scripture be saying to me today that our dwellings can be in an inadequate state in and of themselves, distressed, run down, inadequate, without resource, without proper resource. Anybody ever feel that way? Sometimes we feel that way when we're trying to convey the gospel. I'm conveying out of an emptiness. I don't have the right resource even to share. My dwelling is lacking, okay? So dwelling. Now, I think it's epic that they go to the master who is a type of Jesus. When we're lacking in our lives, can I suggest to everybody here, there's another whole series of sermons in this, uh, we should go to the master first. We need to go to Jesus he is our source. He is our, he, he is the, he is our supply. He is our life. He, he is the one who is able to do immeasurably more. Why would we go anywhere else? Jesus first. Jesus first. Goes to the master. I love that he asks, can we go from where we're living now to the Jordan? Because the Jordan in Scripture 
is a type of the Spirit-filled life. You would remember when the Israelites crossed over from Egypt, the world, into the promised land, they crossed the Red Sea. That's a type of being born again. They came into the land, but they, weren't, they, weren't, they were dispossessed, and it wasn't until they crossed the Jordan that they were in the promised land where God wants us to live, the Spirit-filled land. Now, it's not crossing the Jordan isn't going to heaven. Crossing the Jordan is empowered spiritual living where we're going to now face battles. You know when they crossed the Jordan, they began... I mean, the whole, the whole book of Joshua, it starts the spiritual warfare, right? But it's empowered spiritual living. So they're saying, hey, can we go from this dwelling where we're lacking down over here, by type, if you will, to a spirit-filled living? How many of us know that's what we need? We need spirit-empowered living for our daily living. Okay, so I love that they're asking. And he says, certainly, go, yes. And that's what he would be saying to us today. Look, if your life right now is lacking and you need that empowered life now, the Lord's saying, yes, go. I'll go with you. Can I get an amen? Amen. That might be some of us today. It might be all of us today. In my needy state, we need to go to the master. So there's a lesson inside the lesson. Can we go to that place? Yes. Okay. I love that when they get to the Jordan, they're working. They're working. How many of you, how many of you realized in this spirit-filled living, there's works for us to do? We don't just get a coast. Have you noticed there's no timeouts in the kingdom of God? <laughs> there is no vacation. Hey, listen, there's no retirement plan either. Our retirement is heaven right? Jesus said, again, my father's working. I too am working. He's been working since the beginning. I'm working up to this date and there's works to do. He's prepared them in advance for you and I. There's work and they're working. They're cutting down trees. So let's come to the little mini M&M. Just like last week we looked at a story and it was the stew or the, the pottage and we looked at the meal and the meat and we got to get more of the word in us, so to speak. It's going to be similar today but it's the M&M or the small M&M is mall and maple. Mall and maple, right? The maple is a hard wood. This is actually, this is a hickory stick. And the mall is the cutting edge, the cutting edge. Okay. And so in our story, and in the context of scripture, wood is representative of our flesh and this cutting edge is represented it's a borrowed power it's a borrowed source we don't possess the source we don't possess the power of god the power of god the spirit of god possesses us can i get an amen we belong to him we were bought with a price Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. I have been crucified. I'm dead, and now the Spirit of God possesses me. We were purchased at a price. I am not my own. You are not your own. And so it's a borrowed power. And in our context, in our story, the two have been separated. And here's what I would say to every one of us today. If you have lost your cutting edge, Today is the day to be restored. If we're out in the forest doing the works of the Lord without the cutting edge, we're taking a stick, hardwood, and we're beating it. We're making a lot of noise, and we're not getting anything done. We're probably hurting people. Anybody ever beat someone with a stick using the gospel as your stick? <laughs> and it's not doing anything because we don't have the empowerment and the work of the Spirit to do the work. It's like showing and, our, showing and sharing our faith without the Spirit of God. And oftentimes it's making a reputation for us and not the Lord. It's doing 
work not in his name but in our name right I mean, there's been times where I've just wanted to win the argument, especially when I'm, you know, conveying the gospel and someone is an evolutionist and I'm trying to, I lose sight of the gospel and I start trying to win the battle on creation versus evolution. And I mean, I start beating them up with the laws of thermodynamics. I start beating them up with the laws of, uh, of uh, uh, what was I looking for? The cause and effect and other laws. And, and, and they're like, beat, and I forgot about the gospel. I just have a bigger wooden stick, and I'm doing it in my own power. And it doesn't accomplish conviction or passion or desire to know the one who's in me. And so if you're here today and you feel like you've lost the cutting edge and maybe that you've been operating in your living, your daily life, the circumstances of life, you're no longer diffusing the life and the love of Jesus, but maybe the stench of where your flesh really is. And anybody have opinions and attitudes that kind of maybe not be biblical? And we're like, mm. there's a remedy. And I believe it has to do with refilling. And so I love that he immediately came to the master. He confessed, alas, master, the head is gone, and it was borrowed. It's not mine, and I've lost it. I love what the master says, and I believe that this is what Jesus would say to you and I. We've lost that connection. We've lost that cutting edge. We've lost that intimacy with the Spirit of God. We've lost that fellowship. And it's, in some cases, like in, last week I took you to Revelation chapter 2, and uh, Jesus' love letter to the church in Ephesus, I would bring you there again today, where he says, I have, but I, he says, I know all your works and all these good things that you've done, but I have this against you. You've left your first love. You've left it. Similar in this case, where the head was lost, it was something that he didn't do. He didn't maintain the axe. If you maintain an axe, you can keep a tight fit. Do you know that if you and I will maintain our relationship with the Lord, we can keep a tight fit? with God the Spirit who dwells in us? That's important. That's important. Maintenance. Doing those biblical principles, the disciplines of a disciple, to maintain the nearness and the tightness in the Lord. So if that's lacking in our lives, there is a remedy, and God wants. So it's coming and making confession. Alas, Lord, I'm not where I should be. I'm not where I should be. I'm not where I once was. I'm not where I want to be. He says, Take me where you last had it. Where did the head fall? Take me where you last had it. Just go back. Like in Ephesus, you've left your first love. Go and do the first thing. Show me where you once were, where you had that cutting edge in your life, and begin there. And what happens next, I think there's two pictures, there's two types. And I think both are applicable in a spiritual application in your life and in my life. If you read in the New King James, it says he cut a branch and he cast the branch into the Jordan. Let me say to you, and it's up here as number B, the branch, wood. We need the arm of the flesh cut and cast into the river Jordan. If we will saturate ourselves in the spirit-filled life, the cutting edge will rise and we can apprehend it again and walk in the power of the Spirit of God. In our daily living, both showing and sharing our faith, the arm of the flesh immersed in the spirit-filled life. How many of us would say, yes, please, sign me up right there. Yes, please, more of that, please. The first one you see up here, tree. It's interesting, the Hebrew word for branch, if, depending on what your context is or what translation you have, it's translation and trans, it is translated properly more often as tree, the Hebrew word tree. In fact, a familiar verse in the Greek, you would remember Philippians 2, where the uh, apostle writing to the church in Philippi, the apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he reminds us of a text where he says, cursed is anyone who, what? Hangs on a tree. 
you take and you find where that scripture is, you go back and you look that scripture up, it's the Hebrew word that is translated tree, it curses anyone who hangs on a tree, it's the same word that's right here in 2 Kings. Tree. And it's proper. He cut down a tree. And he applied the tree to the scenario. What is a tree a type of in Scripture? The cross. And I would say to every one of us, no matter where we are in our walk with the Lord, no matter where we are in our tightness with the Spirit of God, no matter where we are in the empowerment of our lives and how we're living each day, overcoming sin in our lives, being more than overcomers through him who strengthens us, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, no matter where you are on that spectrum, if you're not where you know you should be or where you could be, the remedy is to come to the cross. To come to the cross. It's at the cross that all kinds of stuff from the past. Remember when the children of Israel were traveling? They just, the 10th plague, the death of the firstborn, and Pharaoh says, get out. They cross the Red Sea. Three days into the wilderness of Seir, they're out of water. Now, we don't know how many people it was. Estimates from a million to three million people. Don't know how many it was. However many it was, they had a lot of animals, too. Animals got to drink water. Big animals drink a lot of water. Animals without water die. People without water die. Kids need water. And they're traveling, and they don't have any water. And the people are like, God let us out in the desert just to kill us. And they're like desperate and imagine all of a sudden they come over a dune or a hill and they see the waters of Myra down there. I mean, in my mind, I can see that first group coming over the ridge and like kids see the water and they're like, see ya, dad. And they just start running down. You know, kids in sand running there. You know, first of all, it's difficult for a human to run downhill anyway. Oh, I'm top heavy. And and I see them, but they get back up and they're running. And I see them just diving into this water, only to realize that it's not potable. It's not even drinkable. It's bitter water. And now um, you've been looking for water. And it's like, oh, praise God, there's water. Yay. And then you can't drink the water. It's like, are you joking me? Are you serious, God? And they are enraged at the Lord. And Moses is like, oh, God, save these people. Don't destroy them. And God shows Moses a tree. And he throws the tree in the water. And the bitter waters become sweet. I'm going to tell you something. No matter what has happened to our lives up to this day, you come to the tree and God can take your past, your bitterness, your hurts, your heartaches, your griefs, your disconnection with the things of God, your disconnection to the mission of God, your disconnection with all that stuff. He can say, no, we're going to get it right here. We're going to get it right here. We're like the wooden handle. The Spirit of God, empowerment, the cutting edge. It's loose, it's disconnected like the mall I have over here. There's a remedy that's the fix-all. Just like it sat in the bed of my truck last night and it rained last night and it was sitting in that puddle. You know, when I picked it up, I was so excited. I'm like, Kim, can you believe it? It's even loose. I said, that's what I, I said. It's just perfect. And now it's not loose at all because it soaked up the water. Experienced axemen know that one of the best ways to maintain your axe is to stick the head in a bucket of water. And when you get the head in the water, it soaks it up and makes a fit tight. A tight fit. I think the analogy works because water in type is the word of God. And if you and I will soak our heads 
in the Word of God, we can regain a tight fit and relationship with the Spirit of God who uses the Word to bring forth fruit in our lives. We need to be spirit-empowered so that when we both show and share, we are evangelistic, evangelizing, and doing the mission of God. And as our worship team comes back, or Mariah comes back this morning to close us in this song, I want to challenge all of us. Matthew had a challenge. He had no idea. He was on vacation all the way up till today this week. We hadn't had conversation about where I was going. And he said, we got one assignment this week. Share with someone this week. Share the gospel with someone. And there's a simplicity. I would say to all of us, and next week, as I mentioned, we're going we're to look at a third aspect, but there's going to be this idea of sharing out of what we have and how God can do that. And I believe, I believe that God can take all of our week and he can speak to us about how to share to people if we'll communicate with him he'll show us what to say he'll tell us what it could be the simplicity of hey god bless you i remember i've told the story time and time again about the guy who was on his way to the uh, hawthorne bridge downtown in 1986 1986 he was it was an evening he was on his way to take his life, he showed me he was going to cut his wrists and jump off the Hawthorne Bridge. I was in a prayer meeting and being as unspiritual as I could, I was like done praying. And the rest of the group was still fervent in prayer. I'm like, yep. I got up and I walked away from the group and I'm walking down to the waterfront and our paths coincide. And I said three words, God loves you. And he stopped dead in his tracks. I kept walking and like, where'd that guy go? And as I turned, he said, what did you say? I said, bro, God loves you. And tears began to pour down his cheeks. He says, I can't believe you said that to me tonight, now. And he reached into his pocket and he says, I'm on my way to slit my wrists and jump from the bridge. And you say that. What is going on? I said, bro, God sent me to tell you that he loves you and your, war, your life is worth so much more. He died for you so that you don't have to die. He gave his heart to Jesus. Three words, God loves you. And I entered into a conversation and a relationship that who knew was going to happen? Only God. God has appointments and assignments for each one of us this week. And if we are just dry, our wood's dried up, we don't feel the cutting edge, we just need the refilling of the Spirit of God in our lives. The beauty is, He's ready. Jesus said, if you ask for the Spirit, how much will the Father give? How much more? Jesus. Oh, this man.